the knowledge, it will come to an end. But we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three.
heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman from Syria. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill, on which they, on which, to the brow of the hill, I have double vision, please excuse me, to the brow of the hill, on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff, but he passed in the midst of them, and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. to go to or send our children to, our next job, 
want to accept or decline, where to live, what to do with our money, who to vote for the president, what causes or projects to put our best efforts into, how to create more adequate space in our life for God. The list goes on. For better or worse, discernment is a constant byproduct of the gifts of free will. And so, in light of that, I have two hopes this morning, having just read that collection of readings that we just read and heard. The first one is I hope that you take this particular lectionary insert home and tuck it away in a safe place and keep it, so that you may use it any time you need good guidelines and guidance. It is perhaps the most beautiful collection of readings that we have for entering a prayerful, spiritually guided discernment process. My second hope is that in the next few minutes, I can either speak something useful into whatever you are currently discerning, or you can tune me out successfully enough to let your mind wander to the place in your consciousness where God is speaking. I recently heard Parker Palmer tell the following of rabbinical A young man went to his rabbi and asked, Rabbi, what do I need to do to become more like Moses before I die? And the rabbi responded, My son, when you die, you will not be asked why you weren't more like Moses will be asked why you were not more like yourself. I think God created each of us individually as conduits to get more of God's love into the world, and that in order to optimize that potential, we need to always be seeking ways to become more like ourselves. Before I formed you in the world, I knew you. God tells us and Jeremiah in our first reading today. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now when Jeremiah hesitated and pleaded inadequately, God did not back down. Rather, God said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. We are going to do this thing together, you and I. Along with Jeremiah, we are given God's reassurance of divine presence in that moment, and we can respond to that promise with the words of today's psalm, a psalm which acknowledges God's in utero presence with us as our stronghold, our refuge, our hope. That in utero presence, and that's the second time we've heard it today, began not at baptism, not when we thought we could conceptualize God, and not when we could become old enough to sign on the dotted line of our particular religion. But in the womb, before anyone else ever even saw our faith, what a powerful presence that is. What love. And so it is from the womb that we are trained in the great love of God. Love that is, as Paul's letter to the 
kind. Love that is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, but rejoices in the truth. And does not rejoice in own truth. My goodness, can you imagine a presidential campaign based on that kind of love? And perhaps it should be the basis of any presidential campaign or any other endeavor of service. Because this description of love was meant to expound upon the one essential component of living into our God-given gifts and vocations. If I speak in tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The one essential component to any work we offer to the world is the thing that God has been feeding us since the womb, love. If we do not have it, or if we lose hold of it in our everyday frustrations and relationships. We need to go back to it with re-remembering and re-manifesting love. I believe that God infused love into each of us on an atomic level so that when we stop and listen to our life, what we hear is love. And what we choose to do must have everything to do with that essence of our created being. In fact, when we are fully tapped into the current of love that runs through our veins, I do not think that we can live authentically by any other motivation. And when we speak of this love in the church, we do not ever need easy sentimental love. We need love that compels us to take great risks in order to resist God in bringing about a time when all are safe, all are fed, and all are regarded as beloved. Jesus' life was so clearly fueled by that current of love, a current so strong he could not forever stay in the safety of his woodshop. So he voyaged to be baptized, to spend 40 days in the desert, and to step into his ministry. And then to go home and confess his vocational calling and true identity in his own synagogue. What a shock it must have been for his relatives and neighbors to hear him claim his calling as the one who would fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. Last week, we heard him claim it. And this week we heard how offended they were by the prophets and their notes. And so, something important happened. Something we need to take notice of as we contemplate our own lives. They tried to throw him off the cliff. One of those more colorful moments in the gospel. It begs the question, where are we throwing our prophets? so that we can maintain the status quo, protect
protect our privilege or turn a blind eye to injustice? And how does that action effectively block the flow of God's love through the veins of humanity? And perhaps an even more important question for us each to reflect upon inside our hearts is where are we internally throwing our own prophetic voices off a cliff before the world can even hear what God might be trying to say and do through us, through you? Did you notice that Jesus passed through the midst of the cliff thrower offers, unharmed and went on his way? You see, the way was made clear.
Augustine, Archbishop of Canterbury, and for the reconciliation in the worldwide Anglican community. In our diocesan cycle of prayer, we give thanks for the ministries of St. James Church, the Society of St. John the Evangelist, St. John's Chapel, Episcopal Divinity School, St. Peter's Church, all in United Interfaith Action. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you.
much for sponsoring the coffee hour today. Please join us in the parish hall. There will be an information table highlighting the Beijing Circle and their world of outreach to the Mariana School in Rwanda. We will be focusing on, in February, on the Lenten Lightbox project and the short Tuesday pancake dinner with a very special guest. So I hope you'll go to that table and find out more.
spirit of Becky's sermon, friends, and on the eve of the Iowa caucus in the first nation primary, it appears that there is a new candidate entering into the presidential primary called We the People. If there's any interest, I'd be glad to say a word afterwards. There is youth group this afternoon from 4 to 6, um, and there is a core of people who know that. Uh, but if there's any 6 through 12th graders in here or in your life who you want to have join us, that would be wonderful. Um, we did have two of our youth for the forum this morning, and I want to thank them. They might actually be teaching church school right now, but Michelle Faye Francis and Grace Matern were wonderful this morning, and it's just a testament to the power of you when we open our ears. I did not want to make light of Robert's uh, concert this afternoon, and I'm planning to be there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of you may not know that I suffer from a kind of a strange eye problem. Periodically, this right eye goes off and does something by itself. And I have uh, worked with a couple of neuro-ophthalmologists, and it's as good as a 
In him you have brought us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. On the night before he died for us, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, according to his command, O Father,